0: Now, without further ado, this episode of the Daily Reprieve.
1: Thanks very much, Francis, for for doing the meeting, and thanks very much to Luke for for inviting me to speak and also to Daniel. There, yeah, I feel nervous. Uh, there's a lot of people on, and it's great uh, to hear, see, and hear so many and um, I've never been on this meeting before, so um so I'm privileged to be here. Yeah, so yeah, just my experience, strength, and hope. I suppose I'll just start from the beginning. Um Yeah, I, I, I came up in Ireland. and I'm, I'm born in Ireland, of course, but I came up in the 1950s and 1960s. And in Ireland, then in the 1950s, very few people had television. You know, there was television there, but we didn't have it at the time. But television started to come in in, in the 1960s a bit. But um, there was very, very little, almost no pornography there, you know. And uh, um, I, I, Ireland then was very much a Catholic country, you know, and there was, um, I suppose there was a lot of pluses for that, you see. But, the, you know, any, any book, there was a, a clampdown on, on sex, uh, you know, particularly with writers and that In books. They, they had their books banned if there was any sexual, um, uh, how would you say, pieces in, in, in the books, you know. I think nearly everybody, everybody, uh, any major writer, or most writers, had their books banned. In the end, it was a kind of a badge of honour to have your book banned, you know. So, um, in Ireland, anyway. So, um, yes, yeah, so in other words, there was no pornography. There was no pornography there at all. Say, so I mean, I was a teenager in the nineteen sixties. So, there was a lot of music going on. All right, you know. But um, anyway. Um, with regards to my own acting out, um, there was no sex education or nobody's talked about sex or there was no sex education in school. It wasn't mentioned at home. It wasn't mentioned in the church either. And, um, but what I, so in other words, people talked about the facts of life, but, um, um, I, I was never given them anyway, but I suppose I learned them from the, the village where I grew up in from my peers and that, you know, so people talked about masturbation that, but, I think I, I was a, a late starter, you know. So I, I didn't start masturbating say, until I was. I started working when I was around eighteen or nineteen. So I started masturbating then, <clears throat> when I was around nineteen, not far off twenty, I'd say actually. So um, yeah, I was going to church and all that, and going to confession and confessing it there. But I didn't really have much. I didn't really have much. Um, I didn't really have much uh, what would you say commitment to stopping, or it, I just, I just, I just kind of got ho- seemed to get hooked into it, although. I didn't realise it at the time, you know. So um, at the same time then, going into the 1970s, I suppose, um, the, the, the things seemed to open up a fair bit in Ireland, and there was a lot of, um, you know, with regards to the sex and sexuality, or lust maybe, there was a lot of these tabloid papers coming in with page three girls in it or whatever. So um, at that stage, I was masturbating. So I, I was using these pictures to feed my... Um, Feed my acting out, my masturbation. And then, um, then I started getting into relationships, uh, uh, a couple of years later. Well, maybe around that time and into my early twenties. And um so, um, yeah, so the, the second relationship I got into was very sexual and there was a lot of acting out in it <clears throat> and a lot of drinking in it as well. So after about two years, we, we split up, you know, so, and then I went into another relationship then and, there wasn't any sex at all in that. And then we broke up after about two years. So then I went into another relationship and then there was a lot of sex and acting out in that. And then that broke up after about a year, you know, so all the time I was feeding the addiction with masturbation and, um, and, and, you know, using pornography, part of these pornographic type papers. I suppose I, I kind of regard these papers now. It's only a, I give an opinion on this it. that it's, they're really pornographic magazines masquerading as newspapers you know so anyway this is what i was doing you know and um um lusting after women's bodies and um staring at women on the streets and um you know so i didn't really watch much tv but um anyway i i was just i spent a lot of my time in and out of relationships and maybe looking for the perfect woman and and um and didn't realize that there's no such thing and i was far from perfect myself you know so um so I suppose maybe maybe just to sum it up, I suppose um uh I, I spent, you know, you could say I spent like some people spend a lot of their time smoking and drinking and stuff like that, or maybe drugging, but certainly say in those days smoking, drinking. I I spent you could say I spent all my twenties uh masturbating and acting out and in and out of relationships and looking at porn and all my thirties, the same it got probably was getting worse into my thirties then. And but I still kept doing it, and part of me wanted to stop, but I but I couldn't stop, or I could maybe I could stay stop for stay stop for a day or two, and then went back again, you know, and um. So uh, so all through my thirties, so I say in my early thirties, I started to ask questions as to why I couldn't sort of commit to marriage, and that, and I came across something in a book that by a spiritual writer that struck a chord with me, you know, but I've since um. I, I, and it had to do with, say, parental relationships. So I had a kind of a difficult relationship with my father, and um, um, and then I think I was an only son. I had three sisters, so I think my mother then kind of, um, you know, how would you say, looked upon, looked to me then to sort of fill the gap when he wasn't there. You know, to sort of, you know, to be available for her, like to maybe I don't know, go shopping or whatever, or you know, to be around, to be around the place. It wasn't sexual or anything like that, but it was a bit like surrogate surrogate husband or whatever that kind of stuff you know so anyway um and of course that caused problems with my father as well because he knew that um he knew that this was happening and this didn't help my relationship with him and there was a lot of resentment and sort of maybe unexpressed anger on my part I suppose I was very passive aggressive you know so I had a lot of resentment around him uh, around my father and a lot of anger and a lot of fear as well and um And I was medicating all this with all this stuff. And there was a difficult relationship in the marriage as well. They they had a very difficult marriage. And um, so I I, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to cope with this through, I I, I medicated medicated with the masturbation, the lust, sex, relationships, pornography, the whole lot for, as I say, right through my 20s, 30s. And then at the same time, I was working full time, but I seemed to be, you know, I, I was confessing this in confession, but you're, it was kind of going to go nowhere, really. In the end, I kind of discovered I was possibly re- addicted to religion as well. But anyway, um, I, I was sort of reasonably successful, I suppose. I was holding down a job, and um, I, I at one stage I did a night course in, in the local in the college where, in Galway. You know, st- still while I was acting out, although I had to curtail some of the womanizing in that because I hadn't because I was so wrecked with the I was working full time, and then I was doing the a ninth degree in my spare time you know so I got through that as well so I seemed to be kind of successful seemingly on the outside anyway but on the inside I was falling to bits because I was in total despair about the um I was going to church on Sundays going to mass and that but I, I felt like I, I felt like I felt really like that my own, my own personal life was was shambolic really it was <clears throat> it was in a, a, in a mess in a shambles really you know and I was in despair as to how I could get out of it or how I could. Um, I, I couldn't see any way out of it, really, you know. So I, I kept on, I suppose, in the insanity of doing the same thing over again, expecting different results into my 40s as well. And then it sort of came to a head then when, when um, oh, yeah, when, say, my father died. And then I got into a relationship with a woman whose father also died. And then that, that was OK for a while. That's for This woman had been married as well and her marriage broke up and she had two youngish children. I'd never done this before of course, I'd never um, got involved with a woman who had been married before but anyway, um, that particular relationship wasn't too bad for about six months we didn't have any sex or whatever but after about six months we started to have sex and as soon as we started to have sex, you could say the relationship whatever relationship was there was finished you know, it You know, it, it went on for another six months or at most but you could have called it off I could have called it off at the time or we could have ended it there and then because as soon as we had sex, it's just sex just took over and the, the relationship just felt a bit like it just collapsed like a pack of cards, you know? So the one, one thing I knew before I came in to SA into the S yes fellowships was that, um, sex, sex wasn't going to keep a relationship together anyway, you know? And I suppose I was, I was too scared to get married or too I, I couldn't, I couldn't give a commitment or couldn't, um, couldn't commit to any one person, you know, um, just kept going from, one person to one woman to another you know and um so anyway by the time I got into my 40s I, I was out of control I suppose we it say a few years into it anyway and what brought it to a head really was I picked up a sex that particular woman I picked up a sexually transmitted infection of her so then I had to go and I had to go to a doctor first and he, he gave me medication and that didn't work because I I, I, I kind of had doubts if it would anyway so in the end I had to go to, you sent me on to a consultant so the consultant told me I was having too many partners, so <clears throat> I, I felt so ashamed and so shocked that I, I, I nearly felt I, I'd like if, the, if I had been swallowed up. I, I felt like like disappearing, or, or, you know, um, you know, if the, I, I would like if if the ground had taken me or whatever, you know. But anyway, he, he kind of dealt with the stuff anyway, and um, so that really. And then at the, at the same time, you had all this aid stuff was going on at the time, you know. So anyway, um, that relationship finished, and I am into another relationship. So. Uh, I, told the, I told the woman in that relationship, in both of them actually I told them, but in the next one we didn't act out, but I told her that uh, I told her I was in, oh yeah at that stage then, um, by the time I had the sexually transmitted infection I was out of control with the masturbation I couldn't stop or couldn't stay stopped and I was holding down a job that was fairly stressful and had a fair bit of responsibility with it as well so uh, my concentrate it demanded concentration and I was getting by all right, but my concentration was beginning to slip, you know. So anyway, um, I didn't, I, I didn't know really what to do. I, I was, um, my back was written literally to the wall. So, um, uh, I, I felt, you know, at that stage, I, I didn't realize there were any S fellowships there. This is back in 1994 now. And I thought of going to AA, but I was drinking all right, <clears throat> but I could stop the drinking, but I couldn't stop this. So I didn't know really what to do. So, um, I just walked into a place in Galway one day where I knew AA meetings held, had been taking place there. You know, it was well known that, that AA held their meetings in this place. So it m- must have been my higher power led me in there one day. So <clears throat> I, um, I came across, um, across, um, a flyer or a PI card for SLAA, the other fellowship. So you had to, at that time, there was no, you had to kind of write away to a box number. And, um, anyway, I, I started to attend, um, SLAA meetings then in say around october 94 so this was this was a huge um relief because at long last i'd met somebody i'd met people who had the same problem as me you know so um anyway um uh you know after what i kept doing we just we just kept we just kept going to one meeting a week and reading literature and doing some phone calls there was no sponsoring or no step work or anything like that being done so the following about six months later um an SA member attended our meeting. So I'd never heard of SA. So he told us about, <clears throat> you know, that, you know, he, I was after slipping the day the day before. And he just said like, unless you get a sponsor and start working the steps and, um, you know, make, make three phone calls a day and go to as many meetings as possible. You're going to just keep relapsing. So anyway, the, the that was the beginnings really of SA in Ireland then. So uh, that was in February 95. So it didn't really start, uh, we Started to work, or I started to work in an essay program while in SLAA, but the following year in 96, SA started. So, um, so yeah, so I, that's how I, I, I kept my brought my sobriety date forward, but um, I, SA started the following year in 96, so I, I didn't join my first meeting in SA was in um, November, uh, September 96. So, as I say, I was working in an essay program while in this, I was going to do two fellowships then, until the following year, then I I um I um I just left the left SLAA altogether and just stuck with with S S A, you know. So um yeah, so when it came into SA then we were told like that SA used AA literature like the AA Big Book and the 12 and 12 and as well, you know. So and then we had the white book and recovery Continues. So what was suggested to us to get a temporary sponsor, which I did. And to keep reading the um, what I did anyway was even when I was in SLA, I I had their book, so I kept reading step one in the 12 and 12 because I found that really helpful. It's kind of a short reading and it kind of it's succinct and it kind of says it all in a few in a few pages. I I, I thought it was really good. I used to keep reading it and rereading it and rereading it over and over again. I used to always the other thing was with step one was I kept reading it in the as it was then in the um, s l a a book, you know the language was a bit heavier there, but still it was good to to read it you know now in in the early days in SA we started to um yeah we were suggesting that we write out fear and gratitude lists and powerlessness lists we used to be we, we there weren't weren't that very many many members around or many meetings but we used to phone each other and share powerless lists and um and, um, fear and gratitude list. And also, we had <clears throat> the resentments. We do the step work on that, the columns. Now, um, you know, I had an awful lot of fear as well coming off the drug, and I was sort of, um, I was in a bad way with fear really, and anxiety and all that, you know. So at one stage, I was nearly suicidal. I felt like jumping into the river, into the river, Corrib and Galway, but thankfully, I hadn't the courage to go ahead with it. So, um, yeah, with the step one, what I found very helpful was. Reading yeah, the the this the twelve and twelve really said a lot and um said it all, I suppose really, that it talked about bank, bankruptcy and, and uh that um lust is an allergy of the body. And it also talked about that the early AAs, it was only the last Gaspers who got the program, you know. And for me I felt I I I was and am the last Gasper, you know. So um, you know, so I really wanted it. I was in I I was in I kind of felt I was at death's door and people of course but i felt i what really scared me was that i thought i'd gone uh, beyond the point of no return you know so and here i actually slipped uh, um a, couple of m- a month or two later i slipped and i rang the guy that brought the essay to galway at the time and he just said that the the um the world record for sobriety is just one day you know so that was great and um what yeah th- one of the things is that um one of the readings I find helpful in the White Book is, it's a very short reading as well, Surrender Steps 1, 2, and 3, you know. So with the powerlessness, I had no power to stop. Uh, and un- unmanageability, I was out of control. I was losing relationships. My relationship with my family was in a mess. My relationship with friends and people around me was messy. And I was finding it difficult to stay, to stay in the job, I suppose, really, to hold down a job. And my life was unmanageable. And um, powerlessness, I couldn't stop. I had no power over it, you know. I, I, I was completely, um, uh, totally powerless altogether, you know, and, um, so I, at the time, I, even though I was, this is going into step two, my experience with step two was that I didn't, even though I was doing a lot of religion and that I didn't know who my higher power was. And, um, cause I had all sorts of false higher powers, you know, and it could be women or it could be people in music or soccer players or it could be anybody like, you know, so one or two in particular. So. I had no idea who my higher power was when I came into SA. So what I did was I had to use the group and sponsor group and meetings as a higher power, power greater than me. So when the lust attacks hit me or resentment, I I would rely on the membership, the sponsor, and um but also prayer as well, even though I didn't I don't know that I know who I was praying to, but um the meetings, the sponsor, the fellowship, you know, um and and the literature of course as well so um, that was my step two really and I've heard people say as well that in other fellowships it, it has taken people about 10 years to discover who their higher power was so it took me some years anyway I don't know many years but it certainly took me a number of years to to um, to, to get to know so so I, how do I get to know how, in step three that I handed my will in my life over to this power so it was God at the beginning, and I suppose what I did there was um, to try and discern who my higher power was. I actually went to a different, um, I didn't leave my own Christian denomination, but I went to another one, another one that focuses on the Bible a lot. So I did also start Bible classes. And so apparently in the early days of AA, the Bible was the only book that was given to um uh, people went into the hospital with Dr. Bob, you know. So I found, uh, I discovered and then, uh, I discovered who my higher power is, was and is. And then, I, you know, in the last number of years, then I'm working on having a building a relationship with that higher power who keeps me sober in each temptation, one temptation at a time. And <clears throat> the temptations are an opportunity to connect with my higher power and, um, so it's it's a it's a it's a process. It's an ongoing. It's a work in progress, I suppose. Really, you know, and it does take time. And I, I noticed in in the, in that particular reading, I don't want to be read. Surrender one, two, and three in the white book. He says that at the top of page eighty, he says at first the group or sponsor often became the higher power, since we had left the true God far behind. But if we stayed in that interim condition, it was dangerous, like a car stuck on high center, spinning on spinning its wheels and going nowhere. So he says our own experience taught us that the sooner our was our surrender was to God, however we understood or did not understand Him, the sooner we made the transition from self to life. I couldn't just surrender my lust, I had to surrender me. I suppose the thing with all that is that for me is that my sponsor is not always available or can't be, and members may not always be available either or neither our meetings, but I do make the phone calls. But at the end of the day, it's it's my higher power of my understanding. Who has all the power to keep me sober, but I, I need to just keep in keep in touch with him each day, each and each night as well. All the time, really, twenty four seven, and and um, by prayer and by bringing him into each situation. You know, I saw another. There's another thing there in the white book as well. I'd want to be in step eleven. Five minutes left. Thank you. Yeah, where the guy says that the essence of step eleven is letting God in through every temptation, emotion, difficulty success failure sadness and joy through union with the source of our lives yeah well one thing i'll just finish up maybe with them um, with my higher power i was in a job after i got sober i was in a job and i wanted to leave it i was very unhappy in the job you know and um i tried applying for courses and other jobs but it was a bit like the relationships had never worked or i could never i could never go through it so one day at the office i just had a word with i just to my higher power in my own words you know and i just said to him like Look, God, I'm, I want to leave this job and, um, I'm, I'm trying to, I've been trying to get out of it for some time now, but, um, but it hasn't worked, you know. And then I said, but if, if you want me to stay here, if it's your will for me to stay here till I'm 65 or 60 or 62, well, then I'm willing to do that. Whatever your will is for me, God, I said, I'm, I'm willing to, I totally surrender and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I really meant it. I kind of felt it came from my own heart, you know, and, after that, I had some peace, and it brought me a lot of peace and contentment and freedom. And I felt it was like a like a somebody said it was like a conversion, you know. So my attitude to my job, um, I actually was able to enjoy the job better. But a couple of years later, my higher power did for me what I couldn't do for myself. So I was pensioned off early. Not just me, but a number of people. So yeah. So it, it says in the program like that, if I followed the prince steps and. Uh, pray to my higher power surrender and do conform my will with his that god and stay sober one day at a time that god does for us and just for us what we cannot do for ourselves you know so it's about trusting in god and um putting him first and uh conforming my will with his There's prayers like oh god please align my will with yours or oh god please help me to want what you want you know and um but i need to mean it but it does it does work you know and um I thought the white book is really good on some of this, uh, difficulties at the moment, say, with, with a, a family member that I'm sharing with, you know, and, um, I read a piece out of the white book. Maybe I'll finish on this small piece where page 165 where he said that just every time I had a negative feeling about my wife, I prayed for her. I didn't feel like doing it, but I did. It works, but I have to be willing to give up the resentment and forgive. Now that I, I that's a big thing for me because I was, I'm a resentment-aholic, you know, and don't forgive people. So I, I need to work on that, and then he finishes up by saying that's where steps six and seven come in you know, so I find when I do that and pray the six and seven step prayers and pray for the person that it works, you know, so I think it talks it's all about like find what my really looking for, and that's a person relationship with my higher power who looks after me twenty four seven I leave it at that thanks very much uh, Francis.
2: Hello, I'm Carl. i I'm a six Can you hear me guys?
3: Yep, no problems, Cahal.
2: Yeah, okay. I want to thanks Robert there. It was a great share and um really enjoyed it. I uh, got a lot from it. Um Ah, uh, especially the end of it when it came to the solution. Because I, I've done a lot similar acting out to that, Masturbating and sleeping around with women, and, and I went to STI clinics three or four times, you know, and um, I didn't start masturbating until I was 27, 28, and I was actually not with women since 19, but yeah, it was great, especially that part about the job, when you said you weren't happy, and you said you were going to leave it in God's hands, and if it's God's will for you to stay in the job, and and it was, and then you got early retirement, and um it was a great share and it's brilliant being on this meeting. This is my first time here. And it's unbelievable seeing members from all around the world, men and women, like, you know, and um, it's great seeing it from all around the world, I say, and um, usually when I'm staying in Ireland, I think it's a small little fellowship, but it's worldwide. I just want to be current. Um, I just uh, have a job to go to tomorrow. I haven't been working in two or three weeks I wasn't feeling well I just have a lot of fear and last Sunday there I was at a park and a lot of lust around women for the day I didn't think there'd be so many people out but a lot of women and um, a lot of clothing and lust around clothing and stuff like that and um, just surrender that and um, surrender the fear tomorrow
3: Okay, thanks, Cahol. Uh Federico, your hand is raised.
4: Thank you, Francis, and uh, hi, I'm Federico Sexaholic. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Robert, for that uh, share, and it's good to uh, good to see you as well. Um, yeah, when I when I saw that you were you were sharing, I thought, oh, Robert's sharing. That's going to be a treat. So. Uh, <laughs> I was... I was very happy to um yeah to, to hear your share and I really related to it. Um I mean I came into SA when I was 29 so a little bit earlier than you perhaps but um but I'd certainly reached that point when you shared about the jobs and um and how difficult it was you know around the work and the, the unmanageability that was certainly my sort of experience that I'd um I'd sort of reached a place uh where I couldn't even think through to the next month or the next two months. And my, my work requires planning and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I'm very I'm a very happy customer of SA. And I very much related to what you said about the higher power and sort of, you know, maybe for myself, I've struggled uh, around that. Uh, I also come from a religious background, uh, but I really had to go back and look at, uh, and I keep on doing that. You know, it's still a continuing journey. What, it, what is that higher power uh, for me? Um, and um, and how do I put step three into action in all areas of my life, not just lust, but uh, work, family, relationships, uh, anything around me uh, that I potentially react to. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for your share.
1: Thanks, Federico.
3: Thanks, Federico. If anybody else who wants to share or ask a question, just raise your hand on the virtual chat. Again, if you're on the phone, it's star six to mute Natalie.
5: Hi. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Robert, for your share. Um, I just want to say that I already knew that, but now I'm really realising it, how lucky I am that I joined SA in 2021, where I have daily meetings on Zoom. You know, like if you thought about your first step and in, in the beginning when you joined the other fellowship and I say, it just, it made me realize how lucky I am that now we have the white book. We have all these, all these meetings. I, I just, I wouldn't, I cannot imagine that I would have stayed sober these first weeks without joining a meeting every day. So I just, I don't know what I want to say. I just want to say that I'm grateful that I'm in this program now and that I really admire you and all the other fellows who are in this program for many, many years because it was different than it is now. Uh, so, And I want to thank you for your share.
6: I really appreciate it. So thank you very much.
3: Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, Natalie.
6: Hi, everybody. Noah from Israel, sexaholic. Hi,
3: Noah.
6: And I feel really hopeless that I I can't um well, I can be able to go back to be clean again, to be sober again. And I wish for tips from you guys. I'm here like uh four months already and maybe almost five months, and it's been almost five months since I had sex, but uh, it seems like I cannot stop a wanted, a need, uh wanted, need something sweet or to use or just acting out by myself. And... I don't know. I just feel hopeless.
3: Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Noah. I don't know if you're to come on that, Robert. Pardon? Do you want to answer that one or?
1: Oh, any tips, like, is it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose to as a, as a, keep it simple, I suppose, and. Um, you know, one, one day at a time and one temptation at a time. And um <clears throat> I suppose to use the use the tools of the program like uh, a sponsor, a temporary sponsor and uh the meeting as many meetings as possible plus um, to start working the steps step one, you know. Okay, work so work with others and, yeah.
7: Thank you, Robin. Cassie. Thanks, Francis. Kathy Sexaholic. Thank you very much, Robert. I came in just as you were beginning to say, so I heard it all. Thank you. My story and essay has also been very tied up for my religion. And I find that some people in my religious community do understand what I'm doing in essay and some really don't. And I've had to put essay first because I have no spirituality if I'm not sexually sober as I believe the white book tells me. And your own journey and your own recovery, and I've got a lot out of it. And i decided just like to say that I find the nights very difficult on my, knee, on my seventh day of sobriety. I've, I've been in say, seven months, as a lot of you know, but I haven't been able to get sustained sobriety. And at this time of night, I just get anxious. And will I make it through the night? So I just wanted to surrender that. Thank you for listening to me share.
3: Thanks, Cathy. Thanks, Cathy. Buddy. Uh,
8: yes, thank you, Robert. I'm Buddy. i a recovering sexaholic. Um, yeah, I I was raised in a punishing religious household. Um and I've gone to a revision of my uh concept of a higher power a couple times through the years and I guess about two years ago, I went to another uh, a bottom with a higher power and I'm still really struggling with that um. The only person I pray to nowadays is my mom. She's been dead now four years, and and I just talk to her daily, and it helps for me. It, it helps me to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I have struggled with uh, with uh, debilitating depression my entire life, and. Often, just thinking of my mom was the only thing that got me through the day. Um, I had gotten sober in AA um, when I was twenty-five. I stopped shooting dope, stopped uh, smoking dope, uh, stopped drinking. I um, continued to, to struggle though with the depression because the drugs was my medication. Um. And I know I, I, I was listening with Noah, thank you. I was listening to what Noah said with the, the hopelessness. I know with this fellowship, it took me a good six months to put two days together. Um, what I had learned, what I continue to practice is I just keep coming back anyway. This 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 fellowship, this program of sobriety itself, um, has a way of changing my thinking just by coming around, coming to meetings and, and it, it started to work, but it took me a good six months to put two days together. Um, and now I have 23 years. Um, and, and a lot of days I still do that. I just put one foot in front of the other and I keep coming back. I keep listening. I keep coming to meetings. Um, so that's my, uh, that's my three minutes. Thank you. Thank you, buddy.
6: Thank you, buddy.
3: Buddy. Uh, Brendan,
9: what are you doing? Yeah, this is Brendan, sexaholic, and um, yeah, it's good to see you there, and very good to see you there, Robert. Uh, hey, Brendan, in the sun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's grand days that we're having here. Yeah, it's grand days, of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I actually managed to get myself sunburnt the other day, if you can believe it, out in the West. No? But, um, yeah, I, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Like, it's tough at the start, steps one, two, and three. It's tough, like, sort of going through them and getting on with them. Um, but I, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've learned over time that, you know, for me anyway, that's where it really starts to bite is where I start to do step four. It's like when I start to get like something, something I can get solid on. And, and that was good for me because prior to that, prior to actually sort of doing the step work in terms of sitting down and writing and taking a look at the things that were causing me to be going back out all the time, I didn't really have, you know, I mean, I was really up in the air about how this thing was working. Um, and it was it was only after working through the steps, you know, and and, and doing all the work that I was able to look back and see why it was that they worked. And and why they work is because they make me address things in my nature that I don't want to look at. (laughs) Not 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 not, not things with a past, not that, but things like fear and having the courage like to sort of to do it anyway. And and a bit of humility, and, and you know, and dealing with selfishness, I mean, I would never wish this was my problem. I just thought that, like, I had a healthy attitude towards getting what I wanted, and I was better at it than most people, and I thought that was, like, sort of, you know, that was intentional, and there's, I see somebody making a sign to me, so I presume he's either offering me tea or he's saying that's enough, and I'll take it as that's enough, so I leave it there.
3: Okay. Thanks, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Brent
10: Moin. Yes thank you Francis um, thank you for your share and I, I'm really glad to hear that share and your experience I have uh, two questions actually um, the first one is um, I've been called by many members during um, last year who, who were chronic relapsers. And they were asking me to help them, but I couldn't do any, anything for them. They, they just called me, and um, after one day, they just called again and said that I relapsed again last night. And, and sometimes I feel like that I... I feel like guilty and um, feel like being powerless. And I think I think that there is there's nothing that I can do for them, and it's it's somehow depressing for me. And the second one is uh, sometimes by just um, not coming to SA meetings for two or three days, I think that I don't need SA. And this in insane thinking that tells me that you don't have to go to a safe comes again. And how can I do for this? Thank you. Thanks, Moon. Will I, will I
1: answer that?
3: Um, yes, sure, Robert. Yes, please.
1: Francis. Yeah. With regard to the chronic relapses, um, I suppose there, for the grace of God, go away. you know, um, I, you know, I suppose the program says I—I I, I don't know really how to answer it. Really, just to say that the program says I—I I, I have to be prepared to go to any lengths to um to get sober. You know, and that anything that triggers the addiction has to go. You know, and um, am I—I I have to ask myself: Am I prepared to go to any lengths to to get sober and to stay sober? Um, I, I suppose I have had in the past um. Experience of um, with of, of working with um, relapsers and that, and um, sometimes maybe all I could do maybe is is get them to if 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 they weren't getting sober by working with me, because I I can't get anybody sober anyway. It's, it's their higher power is getting them sober, but you know that all they could do maybe is try some other sponsor or try work with somebody else. You know, and um, yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, sometimes, sometimes people, you know, you know, I, I could work with some people, but other people, then I wouldn't be able to work with them, or they wouldn't be able to get sober or whatever. I know it's not all about me; it's about the relationship. It's the higher power is getting them sober anyway, not not me, um, not the sponsor, um, because um, you know I, I can't even keep myself sober. It's God is doing that, you know. So, and the other thing is maybe have I, have I found or have they found. What their lust is really looking for. The other question about um, um, thinking that I don't need essay. Yeah, I've had, I've heard a bit of that in essay, and I probably have had some of it myself. But generally, when I find that I don't need essay, that I get some, you know, I get some lust attack or resent attack or something, whatever, or fear that really, you know, keeps me on, keeps me on course. You know, I think some. I remember one time, some time ago, I had this um. I was going through a good patch, and I felt, "Gee, I'm nearly—I must be nearly cured now. I have no, no lust at all, or no problems at all." And the next thing, I got an, an almighty attack of lust that kind of brought me to my knees, or brought me back, kept me back anyway. You know, but, um, I, I suppose my mind can can play tricks with me, or my head can tell me all kinds of lies. You know, but all I know is that I, I do need SA, and if I do slack, when I do slacken up on it, I, I, you know, I generally the lust comes back in, and I pay it. I have to get. I have to keep coming back and keep making sure I. I go to about three or four essay meetings a week, and um, you know, make calls each day and prayer with, with my higher power and working with others because uh, otherwise, I, I'll. Once the loss comes back in, it's 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 you know, it can be difficult, you know, and and um, I I you know, it's great to be free of it just one day at a time, you know. <laughs>